Hello, everybody. My name is Eric Mercier. I'm co-owner of Juice Imports, and today I'm going to be walking you through the August 2020 edition of our Natural Wine Club. Uh, this month, we have two red wines and a white wine, two of which are imported by us here at Juice Imports, and one of which is imported by our friend Alex at Spur Imports. Uh, so the first wine that we have today uh, that we'll talk about is from Scout Vineyards. Uh, it's located in the Similkameen Valley, which is adjacent to the Okanagan Valley um, in British Columbia, Canada. So we're representing a little Canadian wine today. Uh, this project was started by uh, a handful of folks, but um, uh, Aaron and Carly are the two that I know. Uh, I actually met Aaron and Carly on a plane uh, to Montreal for the Raw Wine Festival. I just happened to be sitting there and they came over uh, and introduced themselves. I guess they had seen a, seen my picture on Instagram or something like that and uh, recognized that I was uh, from Juice and they were going to the same wine festival that we were and uh, assumed, uh, assumed that we were going there. And so we ended up chatting we then ran into each other, you know, a half dozen times, uh, a couple times at the actual wine fair. Once in, I think it was the middle of the night on the metro, which is completely unlikely. Uh, you know, we are far away from anything, yet we just happen to be uh, at the same metro station, which is super unlikely. Uh, and then after having a crazy meal at uh, one of our favorite restaurants called L'Express at like three in the morning, we decided that we wanted to go back there for lunch uh, and somehow made it back uh, at uh, by like 11 o'clock. And lo and behold, they were uh, they were there as well having lunch. And so we figured, OK, we've run into each other enough on this trip. We should probably become friends. And so we conscripted them to come for beers with us. Um, I think it was at Brasserie de Reservoir, du Reservoir. I can't totally remember the name of the brasserie, but either way, really great beers, really good conversation, and uh, we became pretty solid friends. Um, since then, we've run into them in the Okanagan once, um, and then uh, went and visited them actually in the Similkameen um, about a year ago, uh, and tasted through all their wines in, in Barrel and Quevery, um, which we'll talk a little bit more about in a second. Um, as well as just chatting about their farming and actually seeing the vineyard. So these are people who we who we really know. Uh, you know, Aaron and I skyped like a couple weeks ago um, and had a huge conversation, tasted through all of his new vintage, um, and we've been geeking out a ton with them lately. So it, it, it's been really fun. Um, their actual site uh, again in the Similkameen Valley. The Similkameen is a little bit uh, different climatically from. Uh, the Okanagan. It doesn't have a lake the way that the Okanagan does, um, although I believe there is a, a river that runs through. Well, there is a river that runs through. Uh, and so instead of being as influenced by the lake, uh, the lake tends to keep the temperature fairly regulated. Um, there's larger temperature fluctuations in the Similkameen. It gets even hotter during the day um, and even cooler at night. Not only that, but there's uh, a lot of granite in the soil, um, and it's less uh, glacial silt, glacial sediment. Uh, it's more, you know, basically chunks of rock and, and actual soil. So it actually is quite a bit different from the Okanagan, even though it's only, you know, a half an hour drive um, to get into the valley from, from Oliver, so in the southern Okanagan. 
this area is also quite arid, uh, the same way that the Okanagan is. It's actually the most northern tip uh, of the desert that runs up through um, central Washington, basically. If you've ever driven through central Washington, you'll realize that it is nothing like Seattle. It's not the sort of rainforesty vibe that Seattle tends to get with, you know, rain all the time. Uh, it's the complete opposite of that. It's, it's, it's a literal desert. Um, so they're farming uh, their little site there, as well as working with um, a couple other small vineyards that are that are farming sort of up to their ethical standards. Um, they are farming organically, so without the use of synthetic pesticides, herbicides, fungicides, uh, fertilizers, etc. They're really trying to be as holistic as they possibly can in the vineyard. Um, they really subscribe to the idea of regenerative agriculture, which is something that we're super into. The whole idea is basically bringing life back into the vineyard as opposed to making it uh, this monoculture that's just vines. The whole idea is that you want to encourage life in the soil. You want to encourage life above ground, whether that be beneficial insects or uh, whether that be um, you know, predatory birds to scare away the bad birds. Uh, you know, you basically want things living, but you want the right things living in order to um, have a healthy environment for the grapes to, to sort of grow up in. Um, this particular wine is a really interesting style. Uh, you know, it's kind of hard to decide whether it's really a red wine because a lot of this wine is, is made from white grapes. Um, I believe the split is like somewhere around 60-40, uh, 60% being Syrah, a very much red grape, uh, and 40% Riesling, uh, which is very much a white grape. So by fermenting these two grapes together, you end up with a really interesting combination of uh, white wine aromatics, white wine acidity, um, but also the, the structural components of red wine. Um, and a lot of the red fruit flavors that come from that. So this is this is really a hybrid in every way. Um, the idea of what we would call co-fermenting, so fermenting two different grape varieties uh, together, is really interesting. Basically, the pH, uh, so the acidity level of something like Riesling, is quite a bit different than the pH of Syrah. Syrah tends to be very high pH, so very low acidity, versus Riesling tends to be the exact inverse of that. The pH of a wine uh, influences how much is extracted from the actual skins of the grapes. So Syrah being a lower acidity grape variety, um, not always, but in most cases, um, it doesn't extract the same way from its own skins as the juice from Riesling would extract. Uh, hopefully I've explained that in a way that's uh, <laughs> fairly comprehensible. Um, but the whole idea is that you're, you're ending up a, with a wine that couldn't have existed otherwise. Um, you're getting different flavors out of this. It's a lot more complex than just blending Riesling and Syrah together. That would be an entirely different thing because if you just made Riesling just as a classic white wine and you just made Syrah as a classic red wine, you wouldn't end up with these characteristics that come from that co-fermentation. The other thing that's interesting as well is that there's probably a variance on uh, which particular yeast are um, can ferment Riesling at a certain pH versus uh, the yeast that will be fermenting the Syrah. Uh, different yeasts prefer different alcohol levels, different sugar levels, different pH levels, etc., uh, etc., et and certain ones are um, need certain nutrients and, and 
some need less nutrients. So basically you're you're getting yeast to do this fermentation that maybe wouldn't be present in a Syrah fermentation doing that fermentation. Uh, again, it'd be really interesting to have, you know, somebody with a more scientific background than me actually go in and, you know, get a microscope in there and actually check out the uh, the microbiology of the, the fermentation that we have happening here. Um, but either way, in at least in... Um, you know, anecdotally, there's a lot of really interesting things happening with this wine. Uh, the other thing that I want to mention with this wine is that it's mostly fermented in uh, what we call quevery. Um, quevery are uh, some of the oldest winemaking vessels on earth. They've been used in Georgia for arguably 6,000 years. Um, that's sort of where this style tends to come from, and it's the, the longest lasting version of this style. Um, Quevery are essentially like giant clay pots. Uh, they can range in size from, you know, holding a, a couple hundred liters to holding thousands of liters um, if you have a really, really big one. But it, it takes an amazing amount of craftsmanship to actually make these. So they're extremely expensive. Uh, they're quite fragile and uh, they're a lot of maintenance. Actually cleaning uh, a clay pot is going to be a lot more challenging than just spraying down, you know, a metal tank. Uh, or even using um, like a, the barrel washers these days are pretty convenient. They can be automated basically. So versus cleaning a quevery, there's no real automated way to do it. So you, you have a lot more work that goes into it. One of the reasons why you'd want to ferment in quevery is that they breathe the same way that a barrel does, um, but tend to have a little bit more neutral of a flavor. So it, it's less flavorful than barrels tend to be. You can also get them in different sizes and different shapes, and because of the shape of the quevery, you'll often get um, what we call lees stirring. So because the bottoms of these uh, these pots are often curved, um, depending on the shape and, and size uh, of the actual quevery, you could end up with the wine basically stirring itself during fermentation. You get these really interesting sort of cyclone effects um, that are basically happening from the microbiolo microbiological uh, processes that are that are happening inside this uh, this vessel. And so you end up with these wines that can be uh, quite intense, quite silky. Um, you know, not to be too nail on the head, but you know, you'll often get like clay flavors from them, uh, from the actual vessel itself. They're not quite as neutral as I think some people want to say that they are. Um, but it ends up providing this really interesting minerality in a, a totally different environment than either concrete or stainless steel or barrel or whatever you happen to have. Um, it's its own sort of world. And so Aaron has decided that he really likes these vessels and that they were going to invest quite heavily into them. Um, but it's all an experiment. When we were there last time, uh, he, he was trying to fashion some sort of lid for it. He wasn't entirely sure how to make a lid because these things are uneven. Like they're literally handmade. Uh, each one is slightly different from every other one. And so there's no sort of like universal you know, airtight lid for these things, uh, which can lead to a lot of problems. But um, he's basically been chatting with people all over the world. I, I don't know if it's like, uh, like Quevery users anonymous or something like that, but some sort of forum where, forum where he's uh, chatting with other people about insights on how to actually use these Quevery. And so I think like, honestly, he had some sort of gasket device sitting on top of the uh on, on top of the quivery with like a brick on top of it to hold it down uh it's super old school but really really cool 
Um, if you get a chance, it's definitely worth visiting them. Uh, frankly, that part of the world is, is quite beautiful to begin with. And then the fact that there's people like this that I just absolutely adore, uh, it's even more reason to actually go visit them. From a flavor perspective, uh, I think that this wine is, is uh, super wild. It's really fun. When I tasted with uh, him on Skype, uh, I opened the bottle and was immediately like, yes, I need to buy a lot of this. We need to put this in wine club. How much can you give me? Uh, we basically had just enough for wine club and for uh, Pip in Edmonton to be able to glass pour it over the summer. Uh, they're pouring it for a screaming deal. So if you get a chance, definitely go to Pip and, and drink a glass of it. Um, but it, it's completely wild. Uh, it's got these characteristics of both, uh, you know, red wine and white wine. Um, from a red wine perspective, it's got all these like red currants, uh, kind of watermelony, grapefruity qualities. Um, it picks up some of the spice notes that you'd expect out of Syrah, like almost um, like candied peppercorns or something like that. It's wild sage. Uh, it, it's quite wily. And uh, there's some beautiful stone fruit characteristics to it as well, uh, almost like pink peach or something along those lines. Um, those really beautiful ripe orchard fruit that... Again, it'd be hard not to be a fan of those flavors. Uh, and if you think about where this is grown in the world, being grown in the Okanagan or near the Okanagan, which is one of the bigger fruit producers uh, in Canada, you, you can definitely see the the similarities between some of those tree fruits. Um, I definitely suggest uh, decanting this wine. I think that it really benefits from a, a small amount of oxygen. Um, if you want to just, you know, pull out the cork early in the morning and then put it back in and put it in the fridge for the rest of the day, that's usually a good way to get the wine to wake up in a really sort of like slow and controlled way. Uh, or if you felt like decanting it, that's also good. You don't need a fancy wine decanter. Uh, you can honestly like pour it into a salad bowl uh, if you so felt like. It's just basically a way of getting oxygen into the wine in a nice controlled ways. Don't use one of those aerators that's like, uh, they're definitely more of a gimmick than a, an effective way of gently aerating the wine. Um, they're, they're a little bit rough on the wine and, you know, de definitely more just an excuse to sell you an accessory rather than something that's actually useful. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, I'd rather use a juice jug uh, or something along those lines to, to decant uh, and definitely serve it a little bit chilled. I think that, especially with the weather, I don't know. Uh, when you guys will be listening to this, but uh, currently it is very much a heat wave in Calgary. Uh, I currently have an ice pack on my back uh, to try and keep me at a reasonable temperature because my uh, air conditioning cannot keep up with uh, the 30 degree weather we're having. So uh, definitely melting a little bit, but uh, you know, I think a nice chilled bottle of uh, Scout would, would help you through this. Um, for actual wine pairings, uh, I decided to highlight um, you know, a little bit of Caribbean food in, in my write-up, but there's a lot of really great options for um, for pairings here. Uh, I think that if you wanted to, you know, keep it super uh, BC, I'd say as far as red wines go, this is a really good red wine with salmon, uh, really good red wine with trout. Uh, it's, it's very hard to find red wines that work with fish. I normally find them, you know, atrocious. Uh, it's an abomination to, to pair red wine with, with fish most of the time, for me at least. Again, I get that some people like it, but I think that this is one of the rare occasions where it'll actually, uh, it'll actually work really nicely. Uh, the second wine that we have in today's lineup um, is coming from Mindclang, a producer that we've featured a lot on this um, through this wine club. Uh, the reason is basically that they, they offer incredible value. 
it's super hard to find natural wines that are, uh, you know, sort of under that $30 mark. And when we do include slightly more expensive bottles, like our, our, for our bottle, um, you know, we got to find something that, that sort of balances at that price point so we can still keep it reasonable for y'all. Uh, and Meinklein does an incredible job. They have a, a little bit larger farm um, than most of the wineries that we work with. Uh, they make quite a bit more wine than most of the wineries we work with. And because of that economy of scale, uh, they're able to make wine for a little less, a uh, little bit less money, which is uh, fantastic for us because we get to still showcase wines that we, we believe in the farming practices of. Um, so this is called the Burgenland Rot. Uh, Burgenland Rot basically means red wine from Burgenland. Uh, Rot is the German word for red. Uh, it scares a lot of people away from German wines and Austrian wines and any other wines that choose to use German on their label uh, because Rot in English is, is not as much of a pleasant word as it is uh, in, in German, I suppose. Um, and Burgenland, uh, Burgenland is located just south of Vienna. Uh, you have to drive about an hour and 15 minutes to get there, but it's definitely worth visiting. We've talked about it a lot on this channel, which is um, which is uh, because I happen to be extremely fond of <laughs> the wines that come from this area. It's beautifully like uh, gently rolling hills around uh, a fairly flat, calm lake. Um, it's a very shallow lake. Uh, you know, it's it's you can basically walk across the thing. It doesn't get particularly deep, uh, but it's famous for things like uh, like freshwater eels and uh, you know a handful of other fish. So um, it's a beautiful place to go hang out if you know the outdoors are uh, are up your alley and if you want to eat really good food and visit really great wineries. Um, so Meinklang is a biodynamic farm. Uh, we've, again, talked about biodynamics quite a bit on this channel, but just to sort of recap what that means, basically what you're doing is you're turning your vineyard into uh, an ecosystem that's self-sustaining. Uh, and you're looking at every aspect that might influence that vineyard, whether that be uh, the moon cycles, whether that be the seasons, uh, whether that be... Um, you know, microorganisms, whether that be micronutrients, so things that aren't normally, um, we don't really think about when we think about farming. Again, we, we normally think about nitrogen being sort of the most major factor, um, and then phosphorus and potassium and calcium to a lesser extent. Um, but they like to look at, you know, even the micronutrients. So you're looking at things like boron and iron, um, these things that are essential to uh, a variety of, of factors, one being hormone uh, signaling in the actual vines. Um, so you, you sort of need to look at these these tiny little aspects if you're going to end up with vines that are uh, healthy, have healthy uh, immune systems so that these vines can actually take care of themselves, especially when there are things like vineyard diseases. Um, because they're not spraying synthetic sprays, uh, and systemic sprays, so sprays that are um, derived from chemicals that are very harmful, basically the vine has to protect itself. Um, it can't rely on these chemicals in order to, to defend it. So it needs to develop this healthy immune system, and, and that's done through uh, soil health uh, predominantly. Um, Mindclang, because they are thinking holistically, they actually have a herd of cattle. Uh, they have two different species of cow now which are uh, like interbreeding and, you know, going on epic adventures through their property and just sort of roaming uh, and grazing. When we were there last time, they really like uh, hiding in the trees. 
when it's too hot outside and uh, <laughs> and then sort of migrating from from cluster of tree to cluster of tree, you know, eating some grass along the way. And so it's, a, again, a really beautiful place to actually go hang out. They actually have vineyards on both sides of the border. Um, a lot of people don't realize how close this area is to Hungary. Uh, part of this region is actually inside Hungary. Uh, and it's, it's usually referred to as Schopron, but it's basically part of Bergenland. So some of their, their vineyards, as well as some of their grazing land, is on the Hungarian side of the border. It all used to be one region. Uh, it was once called um, uh, German-speaking West Hungary. Uh, so basically this area that identified as being uh, Hungarian but German-speaking. Uh, and so when we decided to draw some borders after World War II uh, and after World War I, people ended up on weird sides of the border based on almost nothing. Uh, and so these people very much feel like they, they are on both sides of the border simultaneously. And so it's nice that the EU has granted them the opportunity to, to farm on both sides. Um, it's definitely something that needs to be talked about more is, is sort of this history about uh, why regions were developed the way that they were and how they are uh, based on, uh, in a lot of cases, more on uh, governmental impact as opposed to an influence rather than on the actual people who live there uh, or the history or the geology or whatever it happens to be. So it's really interesting to, to sort of look at this area of the world. Uh, the great varieties that they're using for this particular blend are Blaufrankisch, Zweigelt, and Zankt Laurent. Um, Blaufrankisch is sort of the classic quintessential grape of Austria, tends to be dark in color, uh, have lots of black fruit characteristics. For me, it's always like blackberry and plum skins. Um, it can have a, a nice sort of almost minty quality the same way that Cabernet Sauvignon does. Uh, and for me, it's sort of the Cabernet Sauvignon of, of Austria. Uh, Zweigelt, on the other hand, is almost sort of your Merlot equivalent. Uh, it tends to be a touch lighter in body than Blaufrankisch, uh, but tends to be more supple, um, more red-fruited, uh, have these beautiful floral characteristics to it. Uh, and then the last one, Zankt Laurent, uh, is um, named after Zankt Laurent, uh, St. <laughs> Lawrence, I, I suppose, um, which is basically the day on which uh, the grapes usually end up ripe. Uh, it's sort of your equivalent of Pinot Noir if you're looking for uh, a classic grape variety that you might be more familiar with. Uh, it's just as finicky in the sense that it has very thin skin, so it's very susceptible to rots and mildews and that sort of thing. Um, and so it, it's definitely uh, a hassle to try and grow. But just like Pinot Noir, when it's made well, uh, it ends up being extremely ethereal, really delicate, very beautiful style. Um, this particular wine was mostly fermented in open top tank, uh, a combination of stainless steel as well as in, um, they have like large wood vessels that they're doing fermenting in, um, often called fudras. Um, these are mostly made from Austrian and Hungarian oak, which is really cool as opposed to French oak. They want to keep everything basically as local as possible and, and highlight their local flavors. So even though these barrels aren't going to be imparting a ton of flavor, uh, just because of the forest that the that basically the, this oak grew in, uh, you'll end up with a different porosity to the wood. You'll end up with different breathability um, and all these different things. So they, they wanted to use something local as much as they possibly could. 
um, from a flavor perspective, this was a, a really funny wine for us because for the first couple of years that we had juice and were importing Mein Klein, we didn't bring this wine in. We thought that it was sort of like the weak wine of the of the collection. Um, it tended to be like a little bit more rustic than we wanted, tended to have a little higher levels of, of VA, so volatile acidity. Um, and then when we went there with a couple of friends last year, uh, we were like, okay, whatever, like, let's retry it. Uh, you know, the price is so good that um, if, you know, may, maybe it tastes better now. And we tried it and we're like, holy crow, how have we not been importing this the entire time? Uh, it was just like completely mind boggling. And then we brought it to Calgary and uh, and it immediately sold out uh, the, on our first shipment, like within a couple of weeks. And then since then, we've been reordering it all the time. And now it's, you know, one of our number one selling wines in the entire portfolio. So we thought this would be a really good opportunity to show you guys uh, what we consider sort of like our house wine here at Juice. Um, you know, it usually falls somewhere around the $25 mark. Um, again, a little bit less in Edmonton, a little bit less in uh, in Lethbridge versus Calgary. Uh, the joys of rent prices, I suppose. Um, but yeah, at, for that price, especially if you're buying, you know, a case and you get the 10% discount, uh, you know, you're getting really good value. You're still drinking biodynamic. You're drinking something that pretty much everybody's going to love. This is about as universally appealing as red wine gets. Uh, it's soft, it's supple, it's juicy, it's not funky really in any way. Um, it's one of those wines that you'd pour it for somebody who hates natural wine and they would have no idea that this is a natural wine. Uh, they would just think this is conventional but really delicious. So um, for us, again, this is like the ultimate house wine. Uh, the last wine that we have in today's tasting uh, is Leaning Post Pet Nats. So a couple years ago, uh, my friend Alex Good, uh, who owns a small importing company that has similar beliefs to our own, uh, called Spur Imports, um, he started working with uh, Leaning Post, uh, or wanted to start working with Leaning Post. It took them a little while to uh, actually have any wine to sell and get all the paperwork worked out and stuff like that. But uh, he he wanted to work with this producer and. He found out that their assistant winemaker um, was making a pet nat from Muscat and Gewurztraminer, two of my favorite grapes of all time and one of my favorite wine styles of all time. And basically, uh, he was kind enough to smuggle me one of those bottles. Uh, at the time, it had like this hilarious bright green label, like literally neon green label, and then just super simple writing across it. Uh, anyways, I tasted it. It was absolutely phenomenal. Uh, it was like this crazy floral, tropical, I don't know, citrusy sort of key lime pie explosion in my mouth. And I was just like, Hey, this is unbelievably good. Super excited about this. Like, thank you for, for sneaking me this bottle back, uh, from Ontario. And, uh, then a couple of years later, um, I was, you know, doing my thing on Instagram as, uh, as we all do, especially during lockdown situations. And, uh, I stumbled upon, uh, leaning post, uh, somebody posting leaning post pet nat. And I was like, Oh my goodness, is this the same pet nat that I was tasting a couple of years ago that I absolutely adored? And it turns out it was, um, basically what happened was this assistant winemaker, um, who moved on to go work in the Okanagan, uh, he basically sort of like passed on uh, this idea of a muscat pet nat uh, to the owners uh, of Leaning Post. And they decided to carry on that tradition at the winery as maybe a little bit of an ode to them. 
and it's absolutely spectacular. So a Petion Naturel, or Petnat as it's called for short, is a sparkling wine, um, and it's made with one fermentation. So unlike something like Champagne, Cava, Prosecco, uh, that go through two fermentations in order to make the wine sparkling. This only goes through one. So the way that you would make Champagne, Cava, uh, Prosecco, uh, Francia, Corta, uh, you know, any of those other sort of classic sparkling wine regions, you know, Cap Classique if you're in South Africa, for instance, or Method Champenoise, um, the way that you would make it is you make a dry white wine. So a white wine that no longer has any sugar left in it. It's, it's been made entirely into a wine. And then what you do is you put it into a bottle with a small amount of sugar and yeast. And that yeast eats the sugar inside the bottle. Uh, it kicks off a little bit of alcohol, but it also kicks off a little bit of CO2. And that basically results in the wine being carbonated. So in order to make that wine carbonated, you need to add, again, sugar and yeast. So you've added something. With natural winemaking, you don't wanna add anything. As, as much as possible, you don't wanna add anything to the actual wine. And so in this case, what you have is you have um, one fermentation. So the wine is fermenting, it's the yeast are eating the natural sugars found in the actual grapes themselves, turning it from grape juice into wine. And when it's almost done fermenting, like it's, it's you know, 99, you know, it's 90% wine and 10% grape juice still, uh, you put it into bottle and it finishes that fermentation. So you've added no yeast, you've added no sugar. It's literally just the yeast that were already fermenting the grapes uh, and the sugar that was already in those grapes. Uh, and it finishes fermentation in bottle, again, doing the exact same thing where the yeast is kicking off a small amount of alcohol uh, and also a small amount of CO2. And that CO2 has nowhere to go. Uh, so it just ends up back in the actual wine itself. Um, pet nats are a little less controlled uh, than something like champagne, something made in that traditional method with two fermentations. Um, and because of that, they tend to be a little bit more uh, wild in flavor profile. It's a little bit less about uh, what we call autolytic characteristics. Autolytic characteristics uh, are basically flavors that come from the decomposition of yeast uh, and things that yeast give off. And uh, it ends up being more about the fruit, uh, the, the vibrancy, the post-fermentation smells and characteristics. Uh, and so they end up being a little bit more, more wild. So I thought this would be the perfect thing for us to be drinking during the summer. We can get this uh, icy cold. Um, it definitely prefers to be cold, especially when opening it. Pet nats tend to be a little bit explosive. Uh, you know, this one's not gonna like shoot all over your kitchen or anything like that, but definitely get it really nice and cold. Let it settle for um, a couple days in the fridge before opening it. Um, you know, don't rattle it around or anything and have a glass handy uh, in case it, uh, you know, overflows a little tiny bit. Uh, you know, better safe than sorry. And uh, so these guys are, are located um, in Ontario, uh, in Niagara, on what's called the 20 mile bench. This area is really famous for having um, really great exposures. Um, it is, uh, the temperature here is regulated by the lake. Uh, you know, that's the joyous thing about the Great Lakes is that they have lots of water in them and water is pretty good at holding on to temperature. So basically during the summer, it makes this area a little bit cooler than it would be otherwise. And during the winter, it makes it a little bit warmer than it would be otherwise. And this basically allows this area that's that's quite far north and quite cool uh, to be able to sustain grape growing. 
The other thing that's really great about this region is that they tend to have a lot of limestone in the soil. Uh, limestone helps preserve acidity in grapes, so you end up with these wines that are very um, precise, very crisp, very fresh. Uh, and so, I, you know, it's something that I really adore. Um, Leading Post has long been one of my favorites for, for making super clean, uh, really classic wines, but... Um, you know, being transparent with their winemaking, doing wild fermentations, uh, not fining or filtering when they don't need to, uh, adding very uh, moderate levels of sulfur, unlike a lot of producers, especially in that area. Um, and so you end up with these wines that are that are super delicious and really vibrant and, and, and very pure. Uh, basically, I convinced... Um, Alex to bring this wine in just for the wine club. Uh, I'm not sure if he was going to bring it in otherwise, uh, but basically after seeing it on somebody's Instagram and having all these fond memories, uh, I reached out to him and I was like, hey, I saw that this is available. Is there any chance that you can get us just enough for the wine club? Uh, and, uh, you know, after a, a couple emails and maybe a phone call or two, he was able to, uh, you know, basically smuggle some over for us. So we really appreciate the work that he's put in in order to make your guys's wine club sort of extra special this month. Um, pretty wicked, uh, combination of things I'd say. Uh, so if anybody has any questions, feel free to send us an email. My email address is Eric, E-R-I-K at juiceimports.com. You can also send us a message on Instagram uh, if that's more your vibe. We're just at juiceimports. Um, and uh, we look forward to hearing from you. You know, we're, we're always game to hear uh, your thoughts and opinions and feelings on the wines that we've decided to include. Um, we've tried to keep it, you know, fairly friendly the last couple months, but, um, you know, maybe it'll get a little, uh, a little more wild in, in the next couple releases. We've also ordered some super special stuff for the fall, uh, especially around Christmas time. It is going to be mental, the wines that we're putting into, uh, into wine club. So, uh, I'm, very excited to share this with you. Thanks so much for everything. We'll uh, chat with you next month. Yeah.